In the year 1780, deep in the pine barren forests of New Jersey, a gang of marauders, criminals, and British sympathizers terrorized local American colonists. These so-called pine robbers would emerge from the barrens to steal from travelers, break into homesteads, and raid local towns before escaping back into the woods. They called the dense forest home for years, killing anyone who attempted to bring them to justice. Welcome to Shaking America, a history podcast. Sources for this episode include An account of the capture and death of the refugee John Bacon by George Ford The book Egregious Villains, Wood Rangers, and London Traders The Pine Robber Phenomenon in New Jersey During the Revolutionary War by David J. Fowler Legitimately one of the longest titles of any book I've ever read The book The Toll of Independence by Howard H. Peckham And the book The Pine Barons by John McPhee In 1780, the American Revolution was rapidly and violently changing the cultural landscape of North America. The war for independence tore families apart, pitting brother against brother and occasionally son against father. The Franklin family was an example of the latter. Benjamin Franklin was a prominent leader of the revolution, but his son, William Franklin, believed in the monarchy, a difference of opinions that would make the two enemies for life. When war broke out after the Declaration of Independence, William was swiftly imprisoned by the Patriot faction, with the full knowledge and cooperation of his father. After two years in prison, William was freed in a prisoner exchange and went to work for the Crown immediately. He established a base of operations in New York City, which at the time was still occupied by British forces. He quickly became the de facto leader of the American Loyalists, and helped build a network of spies and partisans with the express goal of defeating the Patriot cause. His crowning achievement would be his creation of an organization called the Board of Associated Loyalists, a group of mercenaries that would serve as guerrilla military units behind enemy lines. The board was chartered by King George himself, and was ordered to do whatever it took to help the crown win the war. William gave command of the largest unit to New Jersey native and local farmer John Bacon. Not much is known about Bacon before he received his command. He had been arrested several times previously for minor crimes, like traveling without a passport and failing to pay his taxes on time, but he was not a known loyalist or British sympathizer. One second-hand source claimed that Bacon was actually a former Patriot militia member, while other sources claim that he was a simple thug who was now operating as a soldier for hire. Regardless of his origins or political leanings, Bacon was given about 20 men and sent into the Pine Barrens of northeastern New Jersey. His mission there was to disrupt and raid the Patriot supply chain while smuggling munitions in from the British Navy off the coast. Let's talk about the Pine Barrens for a moment. In addition to being the setting and name of the best episode of The Sopranos, if you know you know, the New Jersey Pine Barrens have long been a haven for criminals and outcasts. The largest coastal Atlantic pine barren forest on Earth, the area gets its name due to its sandy, nutrient-poor soil. Historically, farmers have had little success cultivating crops in the region, and as a result, the pine barrens have always been a rural and underdeveloped area. These relatively untouched woodlands dominate the eastern coast of New Jersey. 
The absence of a large population and the dense, maze-like vegetation made the Pine Barrens a great place to smuggle goods from the coast or to hide from the authorities. John Bacon and his men set up camp in the Barrens and then took to their new job with great enthusiasm. In the second half of 1780, Bacon's gang of marauders, who now unofficially called themselves the Refugees, attacked at least a dozen Patriot homesteads, killing several farmers. Bacon was seen by witnesses personally shooting a Patriot militia member to death in December of that year. They began using a modus operandi that consisted of robbing known Patriot farms at Bayonet Point and murdering those who resisted. As the majority of the local fighting men were involved in the War of Independence at the time, Bacon at first faced no repercussions for his actions. Emboldened by this lack of resistance, Bacon began sending his men into the nearby port towns to recruit local criminals, outlaws, and British sailors who had recently deserted. Now with around 40 men, Bacon began to plan larger raids. At this point, Patriot authorities had started to see Bacon as the threat that he was. They sent several small parties of soldiers into the Pine Barrens to deal with the problem, but had little success. Bacon's men knew the paths through the forest better than the militiamen and could simply melt into the trees when the authorities came after them. Bacon's continued success evading the law helped grow his confidence, and in 1781, he set out to plan a counterattack. When a contingent of about 12 militiamen attempted to arrest Bacon's forces after a successful homestead raid, Bacon feigned a retreat into the forest. Thinking that their quarry had once again escaped from their grasp, the militiamen settled into a nearby rural tavern for the night. But as they lay sleeping, just before the dawn, Bacon and his 40 men rode out from the Pine Barrens. They began to mount an all-out assault on the tavern, shooting at the walls from horseback. Realizing they were more than two to one outnumbered, the militiamen retreated under heavy fire. They rode as fast as they could toward civilization, but not before losing two of their own. Bacon had now chased off the men sent to apprehend him, and now essentially had, at least momentarily, free reign to raid and plunder the region. And raid and plunder they did. For the next year, Bacon continued to operate with impunity. His pine robbers, they called themselves the refugees, but the locals called them pine robbers, would visit the homes of well-known patriots and take food, clothing, money, and whatever else they needed or wanted. Over time, some of the residents of these small New Jersey communities began to bury their valuables in the ground to avoid having to give them to Bacon's men at gunpoint. 1782 saw Bacon climb to new heights of notoriety. He used the influx of money to upgrade his operation, buying several small boats for smuggling stolen goods. Convicted by several county courts of high treason but remaining out of the reach of the law, the pine robbers grew bolder and bolder in their attacks. Their next raid would become their most infamous and is now referred to as the Long Island Beach Massacre. In October of 1782, a ship laden with a valuable cargo of tea ran ashore on Long Beach Island. A crew of around 20 to 30 local salvagers began to strip the ship of valuables before settling in for the night, setting up camp and sleeping on the beach nearby. Unbeknownst to the salvagers, a man among them named William Wilson, yep, that's a real name, was a secret British loyalist and a supporter of John Bacon. Wilson slipped away from the rest of the salvagers as night fell to notify Bacon of the opportunity on his hands. Under the cover of darkness, Bacon and nine of his pine robbers stealthily rode across the bay to Long Beach Island, armed with knives and bayonet-tipped rifles. They quietly snuck into the salvagers' camp, 
and proceeded to slaughter at least 21 of the men while they slept. Around five escaped into the wilderness when the killing started. By the time the local militia arrived on the scene, Bacon's men had already retreated into the barrens with the tea in hand. The massacre at Long Beach Island drew international attention. The leaders of the American Revolution and the Crown were in the midst of peace talks, meaning that Bacon had not only killed 21 civilians, but he had done it during peacetime. The new Patriot governor of New Jersey placed a sizable bounty on Bacon's head, and several hunting parties were formed to bring him and his men to justice. In response, Bacon tried to set up traps like the one he and his pine robbers had executed a year prior. When a group of militia from Burlington County came hunting Bacon and his men, they set up a blockade across a small river named Cedar Creek. When the militiamen attempted to cross the bridge, the bandits opened fire on them, wounding four militiamen. This time, however, the militia fired back and stood their ground. After several of the pine robbers, including Bacon's right-hand man and Bacon himself, were shot, they retreated once more into the forest. As they fled, local villagers were reported to have shot at the militia, indicating that Bacon may have had some limited local support. In the end, however, the affair at Cedar Creek would prove to be a last stand sort of moment for Bacon, and would be the last documented conflict of the Revolutionary War. In February of 1783, the British signed a peace treaty, ending hostilities in North America, resulting in a victory for the Patriots. New Jersey loyalists fled to New York City, the last true bastion of British control on the continent. Bacon, who was at this point the most wanted man in the country, had begun to rapidly lose followers. Perhaps they realized that Bacon's cause was a doomed one, or perhaps they simply saw better criminal opportunity elsewhere. In either case, within just a few months, Bacon found himself without a single friend or ally. On April 3, 1783, after three years of living on the run, Bacon was spotted at a public tavern a few miles north of Tuckerton, New Jersey. A party of six men was hurriedly gathered upon confirmation that it truly was the infamous pine robber at the tavern drinking alone. Among the men was village militia captain John Stewart and a militiaman named Joel Cook, whose brother had been killed by Bacon's pine robbers the year before. Once the posse was formed, the six men approached the tavern, wary of any trap or counterattack, unaware that Bacon's men had deserted him weeks back. Once they spotted him through the window, Captain Stewart sprinted through the front door and tackled Bacon to the ground. As Bacon called for quarter, Joel Cook kicked down the back entrance of the tavern, walked up to Bacon, and drove his bayonet into his back. In just moments, one of the most infamous outlaws in American history was killed, and he barely put up a fight. Bacon's body was originally sent to Jacobstown to be unceremoniously buried in an unmarked grave. But Bacon's brother arrived soon after the body and begged the townsfolk for a proper burial. They relented, and John Bacon was buried in a Quaker cemetery in Arneytown, New Jersey. William Franklin went on to live the rest of his life in exile in London. We'll close this episode with a quote from David Fowler, whose book I relied upon greatly. Captain John Bacon. His name was second only to that of the New Jersey Devil for producing nightmares among the inhabitants of the Pine Barrens. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shaking America.